Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensible Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensibleplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? I am doing great because we are talking about one of my favorite topics in the world of ecology, and that is galls and gall formation. I guarantee all of you listening have seen a gall, whether you realize it or not, but they are these weird formations that you will usually see on the leaves and stems of plants. And what's great is that they are formed by another organism, inducing it in the plant itself. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Antoine Guiguet, who is devoting his entire career to trying to understand the extremely complex mechanisms underlying galls and their formation. I'm going to let him tell you all about it because he is a great science communicator. But before I get to that, I just want to say, if you are enjoying the show and you want it to continue coming out each and every week, please consider supporting it. I could not be doing the show without support. And one of the best ways to do that is to become a patron over at patreon.com slash plants. There's a lot of great kickbacks over there to say thank you for supporting the show. And indeed, I do say thank you. I couldn't be doing this without all of my patrons that chip in just a little bit of financial support each and every month. Once again, that's patreon.com slash plants. But that's entirely enough out of me. The world of galls is so complex and it's waiting for you just around the corner. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Antoine Guiguet. I hope you enjoy. All right, Dr. Antoine Guiguet, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. But first, let's start off with an introduction. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Um, hello, Matt. So my name is Antoine Guiguet. So I was born in the Alps in France. And quite rapidly, I became interested by insects and botany. So I, at university, I started to study uh, so biology and to specialize in ecology, and I rapidly be, be interested in interaction between plants and insects. And after different internships, uh, I succeeded to find a lab where I could uh, start a PhD. And that was the occasion where I discovered the topic of gold inductions and hmm. uh, gold-inducing insects. And I rapidly be, started to be fascinated by this uh, phenomenon. So to a few words about uh, goals. So it's a form of tumor. So it's a, uh, an abnormal development of the plant that is induced by an external organism. So that could be a bacteria, a virus, a mite, or insects. And there are many insects that do that. And during my PhD in France and Japan, so I did a double degree between France and Japan. Wow. I had the chance to study um, a species of micromorphs that starts by making uh, galleries within the leaf. And at some point, it starts to induce this kind of tumor uh, uh, and, and feeds on it. And so I studied the evolution of this uh, lifestyle in this group of micromorphs because uh, this species is the only one in its group that does that. The, the sister species does only a gallery. Mm. So we wondered how this, this lifestyle evolved. And also, we wanted to uh, understand the mechanisms, the molecular mechanism, because the big mystery in, in the, the topic of gold induction in insects is the mechanism of formation that is still uh, largely unknown. Wow. And at the end of my uh, PhD in 2019, uh, I looked for a postdoc to continue to work in research, and I found um, a position in uh, Penn, Penn State, uh, so in Pennsylvania State University, 
in the team of Heather Heinz in collaboration with uh, John Tucker and uh, Andrew Dean and work on Golwas, ah. another group of insects that use goals. And maybe we'll talk more about Golwas today. Sure. Imagine. <laughs> well, that's a great journey. And I, I love that it's kind of always been with you, right? You've always known these organisms interact. Uh, they're both fascinating in their own right. And the way they come together, the myriad ways they come together is a, in, in, incredible. But Golf formation in and of itself is is a world unto itself. And whether my listeners realize it or not, they have definitely seen a gall. I get a lot of emails. What is this weird growth? Is it a disease? And <laughs> you go, no, no, no. It's far more fascinating. I promise you. <laughs> and you mentioned induction a lot. You say the word induction. And that's induction. a hard point to drive home is, is when you look at a gall, all of those wild formations and colors, that's the arthropod, we'll say or fungus doing it, right? That is not a reaction by the plant per se. It is a reaction that is being induced by the, the whatever's causing it. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's precisely at the interface between the, the, the causer, so often an insect or um, a fungus, and the, the host, like the plant. So the genes that are expressed that generate this phenotype um, ultimately are the plant gene, but originally uh, the, the the gene controlling uh, the, the the host gene expression are the parasite genes. So that's why we consider goals as an extended phenotype, mm-hmm. an extended phenotype of the insects that cause the goal. So that means that to understand how the goal is formed. You need to understand the reaction of the plants and you need to understand what are the, the effectors, the components, the, the molecules, uh, the stimuli, to be more wide, uh, that are uh, generated by the insects to to fully understand the phenomenon. So it's highly complex and that hmm. probably explains why it's uh, poorly understood, uh, actually. Right, right. And when you think about the interactions, I mean, you can look at a gall and identify, if we know it, uh, what is causing it. And so this sounds to me like a very often species specific between the host and whatever is, is living in that gall, correct? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's very like the phenotype you see is very specific to a particular species. So like good examples are oaks, like uh, particularly in US, you find a, a lot of different kind of goals on oak, but a, a particular phenotype of goal will be characteristic of one species. You can recognize a species of goal inducer by uh, the phenotype of its goal. And uh, at such point that, uh, for instance, people studied what happened when you have one species that can make goal on different uh, species of plants, like closely related species, and they really found that the insect is really controlling the size of the goal. The, so even if the, the, the species of plant is a bit different, the, the insect is really controlling the, 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 the morphological parameters of the goal. Hmm. So, yeah, so the level of control of the insect on the, the plant development is quite high. Wow. And so before we get into sort of your area of study within this, broadly speaking, what is the function of a gall? Why are they doing this in the first place? There are three hypotheses, three adaptive hypotheses. Hmm. Because if I reformulate a question, the question is, uh, what is the ad- adaptive advantage of uh, for insects to induce goals? Right. So there are three hypotheses. 
The first is the nutritive hypothesis, according to which so the, the goal provides a nutritive adv advantage for goal-inducing insects by providing a, um, a better quality, uh, nutritional quality, compared to uh, non-modified um, non plant tissues. The second hypothesis is the enemy hypothesis, according to which uh, the goal the goal provides a protection against uh, the insect enemies predators, and the third hyp hypothesis is the microenvironment hypothesis, mm -hmm. uh, according to which the the goal pro protects the insect from uh, the climatic microclimatic uh, variation parameters like um, uh, heat desiccation. Mm. Um, so this slight hypo uh, last hypothesis was formulated uh, after the observation that in some very xeric environment, like very dry environment, like in Cerrado in Brazil, for instance, uh, you have uh, a high diversity and uh, a high uh, quantity of species that induce goals. Hmm. Uh, it, it appeared that in this, this context, goals provide a protection for these herbivorous insects. Wow. And for the nutritive and enemy hypothesis that are the main hypothesis to explain the adaptive ad advantage of goal-inducing uh, lifestyle, uh, they were tested in several species, uh, sometimes often validated, sometimes discussed. Hmm. Uh, it's probably a mix of both, <laughs> like... Uh, um, and it's still, un yeah, of course, difficult to understand how... Uh, the, the evolution of gold induction uh, started. What were the first uh, advantages uh, uh, during the evolutionary history? It's always difficult to know the, yeah, the, the beginning, but that's yeah, that's the main uh, hypothesis. Wow. It is fascinating that there has been that much support for three different things. I mean, again, we like to share easy stories that are uh, you know one track mind. Of course, it's that simple, but nothing in nature ever is, and so it's it's nice to hear that really is a combination of support for various uh, these these three hypotheses in different ways. But, you know, it, it sounds like, especially when you were starting off your PhD, you fell into the perfect sort of viewpoint to kind of look at this for at least one group. And it's you, you mentioned this micromoth that it starts with forming galleries and then eventually transitions into forming this gall. And so that to me is really cool because I, I know things that either do or don't, um, you know, and, and here mm -hmm. you have one that transitions, whereas its relatives don't. How did you start to bite off your chunk of that that investigation? What methods did you really start to use to look into how this sort of process um, proceeds and, and could potentially evolve de novo out of a group of organisms that aren't gall formers? Yeah, so the of course, it's a complex question, so you need to break it in simpler. Indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like, like your question before, like how do insects induce goals? So before to be able to answer the how question, you need to know when and where, <laughs> <laughs> and which seems to be simple, but actually not not always that that uh, trivial for goal-inducing insects. Hmm. And the first question I had for these insects was to know exactly when and where the goal starts to be induced. So I studied the, the histology of the plants attacked by the insect at different steps to pinpoint when the goal started to be formed. Mm. And I, I identified that, so in this group of micromorphs, so the, the family is the Gracilaridae, and uh, 
you have one point that's called hypermetamorphosis mm. where the the the, the caterpillar uh, change its mouth parts so you start from uh, mouth parts that are like scissor like mm. they, they, they cut like the the larva lives in two dimension just cuts the, the epidermis of the leaf with its scissor um, mandibles and after the hypermetamorphosis the the mandibles are like um, uh, allows to crush the, the parenchyma, so like to to dive in the three dimensions suddenly, and also the mouth parts I uh, have a spinneret, so the capacity to secrete uh, to secrete in plants uh, silk, but probably other substances. Mm. Uh, what I suspect is that with this secretion, suddenly the the larva is capable to secrete uh, the yeah, substances that could potentially affect the plant development. And we, I found that it's when Suddenly, the larva uh, possess this uh, uh, morph apparatus that is capable to induce the goal. Wow! So and so, I compared with the sister species, and it has the same um, hypermetamorphosis, but uh, doesn't induce any goal symptoms when suddenly it has the the new the the new uh, mouth parts, and. Um, uh, by comparing the larval development of both species, we noticed that uh, there was a huge difference in the duration of each uh, instars, because the first and two instars that are that have the scissor mouth parts are extremely short in time for the golden species. Mm -hmm. uh, the larva has no growth at all from one instar to the other, whereas in the sister species. Each instar is bigger than the previous, like, as you can expect uh, for larva that is uh, growing as it's uh, feeding. Hmm. No, in the golden thing insect, the first two instars do not grow as if they invest all the energy to create the space for the goal to be induced. Wow. And, uh, and the growth of the larva starts only when it starts to induce the goal. But you will say that there is a problem at the end. Is that the that means the larva is accumulating uh, a delay in development in terms of size, mm. and that was the surprise we noticed that there is the, the addition of a new instar in this golden species. So instead of having five instars, this species has six instars, wow. and, and the, the supplementary instar allows to um, compensate the delay of growth, and. That links with the question of the evolutionary uh, advantage of uh, inducing goals. That that gives uh, that suggests strongly that the first instars that are not protected by a goal, that are not covered by a goal, are more vulnerable than the later instars mm. that are within the goal. So, suggesting that it's better to grow within within a goal than to grow uh, without. Wow. So so. Uh, with this pressure of to towards a reduction in time of the first and second instar. So what I predict, and it's what I would like to test, if if you have in the future, for instance, uh, the the reduction, like for instance, only one uh, instar on the beginning instead of two, uh, you could have a one a reduction uh, in time in duration of the the, the scissor like uh, instars. Wow. So that's. That's again a, a strong suggestion that yeah, goal induction 
provide some probably some protection or some benefits in terms of nutrition or in terms of uh, protection against enemies. And um, and your your question was about evolutions to try, try to understand how did it evolve in these micromoths. Right. What I did is uh, because I was very surprised that this species was was alone to induce goals. Like when you see the <laughs> its genus, so the genus is Caloptilia, which means uh, beautiful little uh, uh, wings. Mm. Caloptilia. And in this genus, you have only this species that induce goals on leaves. And I was su- surprised that this species was alone like that with its life, uh, lifestyle. Yeah. So I, I searched in old books of, of botany of um, the East Asia. And I noticed on species of host plant close to uh, my Japanese species, uh, like goals that were similar but different mm. <laughs> to this Japanese species and uh, suggesting that maybe there were other species inducing goals. And during my PhD, we were able to find other species inducing goals that turned out to be sister or cousins <laughs> to ah. this Japanese And actually now we, are, we have probably five goal-inducing species on leaves uh, in Caloptilia and the phylogeny tells us that they form a clade, so goal induction evolved once hmm. in this group. And yeah, they, they, they diversified in, uh, in East Asia from, uh, from the, the most eastern one is in uh, New Caledonia, and the more, yeah. most northern uh, species is in Japan with the diversity of uh, morphologies. So, so revealing that, yeah, you can have, uh, yeah, diversification that follows the evolution of goal induction. And the last part of my work was so to try to study the, the mechanism, the molecular mechanism. And for that, I compared uh, so one goal inducing species, the, the Japanese uh, goal inducing species, and uh, a non goal inducing species that would be closely related. And I compared the gene expression in the larvae at different stage of development, and uh, to look for differences of gene expression, and that would be uh, associated with the the timing of the goal formation, and with the goal of identifying genes that could be involved in uh, in the goal formation. So. This study is still an analysis. I haven't published it yet uh, because we need to to have um, uh, yeah, confirmation sure. experiment done in uh, in Japan, and that takes some time. And particularly, uh, COVID uh, <laughs> delayed a lot this yeah. uh, supplementary analysis. But yeah, I hope that will be published soon. Wow. That's really exciting. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I would love to dive into that because yeah, I, I mean it's. It goes to show you how little this is studied that you were able to then stumble onto sister groups that also converged on, uh, you know, emerged from the strategy. Uh, but then to, to, to take that even further is how, you know, that this, this question of how. And when you oh. think about, you know, the, the, the group you're in and then expand that to all of the moths that do it and then all of the other insects that do it and then all of the fungi and all the mites and all the aphids, you know, you start to see like... Again, you go back to the species specificity of the re- relationships between plants and golf formation, and 
it's probably as varied mechanistically speaking as there are, you know, clades out there doing this. Mm. Yeah, they, there is probably a high diversity of goal-inducing uh, mechanism. Mm. That's for sure. Uh, and what convinced me is, in part, the, the work I did in uh, Penn State. So in Penn State, I studied the goal wasp. And so it's an extremely diverse group with more than uh, 1,000 species and a lot associated with uh, oak. Mm. And I I dissected the venom gland of females because, again, there is this question of before to ask how, and there's the question of when and where. <laughs> and for gold wasp, it's not that easy because you have two possible timings for the gold induction. You have the moment when the female injects the eggs in the plant. Oh. And with the injection, injects probably other substances than uh, with the egg. And you have when the egg hatch and with the larva that interacts with uh, with the plant tissue. So, uh, well, most people agree to say that uh, it's not exclusive. Probably both play a role. <laughs> but what is the most important? Uh, it's impossible to answer at this point. But me, I studied more the, the female part, so the venom that is injected in the plant. Mm-hmm. And just by just by focusing on that, so by first studying the the anatomy, the comparative anatomy of wasps, I realized how uh, different the venom gland could be from a species to another. Mm. But one general rule is that the venom glands are gigantic; they're just enormous. Uh, I, uh, the record we have is like. A venom reservoir that represents thirty uh, percent of uh, the metasoma. Wow! So, <laughs> when you are and and you have the the ovaries on the side that are super small that take ten percent of the volume, uh, whereas it's super important for yeah for wasps to produce eggs. No, but it seems that producing a lot of venom is even more important. So suggesting that this venom must have uh, physiological relevance. And, but you have variation in some species. The, the venom reservoir is a bit smaller. Uh, it seems the venom is always important because it's always very large, but the, you have also the color of the venom that can change. We have some, some species that revealed uh, a red venom or a black venom huh. <laughs> or, or venom with some particles inside. Um, in some species, you have also another organ called accessory glands that secretes some a lipidic substance that probably um, create an envelope around the eggs. In some species, these glands are super reduced and some species, the glands are super large. So, yeah, that yeah, <laughs> highly suggests that you have a diversity of mechanisms. Uh, the question now is to know what, what is the general rule and what are the exceptions and what are the specificities? Uh, yeah. But we are just beginning, just at the beginning of the journey. Right. I'm glad you're framing it that way, though, because as a science communicator, it always is difficult to say there are general rules, but there's also many exceptions because it is biology. And just because there's exceptions doesn't change the the wealth of other data we have. It's just nature's funny like that. 
But it's the chance I had in my project is that uh, I had to see the diversity. The, the idea was to do uh, comparative anatomy, also after to do comparative transcriptomics and proteomics. Mm. And the idea re- really was to compare different species. And I had the chance to observe a lot of diversity, like just uh, and to also to be surrounded by this diversity very directly, because uh, during these two years I spent in Penn State. I've been able to find 60 species in a radius of uh, 10 miles wow. around wow. <laughs> around State College. And I have to include uh, also after all the species I, I collected or that were sent to us uh, outside of uh, Pennsylvania. Mm. So it's it's enormous like the diversity of in this group in in the US is, is yeah, just amazing. And by seeing this diversity, yeah, that immediately gives an idea of yeah, the complexity of the mechanisms and that, uh, yeah, hmm. we have a long journey to, to understand the, the complexity of this mechanism. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it took a long time for technology to get there, let alone get affordable to be able to start asking a lot of the, these deeper questions about mechanisms and diversity of approaches and, and just to be able to analyze half the samples you're getting. But, you know, this diversity is exciting because you know, whether we understand what it does or not, biodiversity we know is important. And, you know, state college isn't in some pristine forest somewhere far away from human development. You know, that is a developed area. And to know that you're finding within a small distance from this, that amount of insect diversity, and then the interaction complexifies it even more, <laughs> right, is is pretty yeah. remarkable when you think about this, this really overlooked era or, or, or realm of, of the biological world. Mm. Absolutely, like yeah, we we found yeah even uh, because I said a radius of ten miles, but if I just count all the species I observed just in the campus itself, on the trees, <laughs> on the oaks that are planted in front of uh, the building, or yeah, that's that's what's great with goals is that they they can be uh, yeah on and on, on any plants that are native uh, usually, but sure. uh, yeah, they can. Um, and yeah, what was your question again? Oh, just uh, remarking at the yeah. diversity is, is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just it's something to sit back and really kind of be, you know, celebratory about is, is look at how amazing this world is. And we overlook absolutely. it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and at the beginning of the project, we started to use a lot the application uh, iNaturalist mm. to record our samples and also to have the help of the community to identify some tricky species and very rapidly that by we started to to have a community of naturalists that were in, uh, highly interested in goals and that's really snowballed and now there is uh, particularly in us like this uh, ecosystem of naturalists amateurs also in laboratories that, that collaborate and find really incredible species, like uh, very rare species that never been observed wow. for, for 50 years sometimes. But it's what created this application is the, the possibility of interaction mm. between people that are uh, far in the country and, and that can uh, help you f- to, to identify the, the weird goal you observed. <laughs> and, uh, and that really incited people, I think, to observe more. So, so for that, yeah, you, that's a good example of how technology and, uh, and yeah, things like iNaturalist really can help to uh, enhance 
the attention of uh, amateur naturalists, uh, just people who will do a hike, the attention of people that just do a hike the weekend on nature, and uh, and connect them with uh, yeah uh, professional biologists that look for rare samples or rare observations. Hmm. Right. It becomes a treasure hunt, really. And it's one, exactly. like you said, on campus. You can do it in the city. You can do it in the backyard of, <laughs> of wherever you're at. I mean, go looking. And it's one of those things where once you start to tune your eye to what a, you know, could this be a gall, then you, oh, there, that, okay, there's that one. Okay, I got to go look at the cherries. Now the maples, now the oaks, and the oaks, oh boy. <laughs> oh, that's a heavy, heavy gall loaded often. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very, yeah, it's a, you need to develop this new sense, like it's different from botany or entomology, because uh, entomology you look for things that that move a little. For botany, you look for um, uh, beautiful plant organs that are well formed <laughs> that will help you for your identification and for to look for gold. On the contrary, you need to look for the part of plants that are a bit weird. So it's good to know a bit botany, like to know what is a normal uh, uh, leaf of this species or normal, normal flower, and to be attentive that when this, these organs are uh, malformed or weird looking, and in this case, like you need to jump at it and see if it could be a goal. Very exciting, indeed. And, you know, to think about what these galls are doing, you mentioned there's there's three potential hypotheses. There's probably some support for all of them. But, you know, you mentioned in the, the micro moth work that there was some sort of uh, sort of adaptive advantage in protection. Right. And that's what I kind of think of galls are is these sort of nursery chambers that offer some protection. And you and your, your collaborators have recently stumbled upon a, a fascinating mechanism by which, um, you know, these galls can protect specifically in this case wasp larvae by kind of co-opting a system more familiar <laughs> in botany uh in, in sort of the exciting world of carnivorous plants <laughs> correct <laughs> yeah but that's was completely serendipity so we found it by chance by nice by curiosity you mentioned so how goals are defended so they are they are free possible mechanisms for goals to be defended against uh, enemies so this physical defense so that could be the uh, hairiness of the goal, that could be the, the size of the goal, that could be uh, a deterrent for for potential en enemy. You have also the help that could be provided by a mutualist association, like with ants. And you have also the chemical uh, defense. And, and yeah, this, this, this study is more about chemical defense. So until now, the only chemical known for goals was the accumulation of tannins. So oak goals are known to, to accumulate a lot of tannins, so much that uh, goals since uh, the Middle Age started to be used uh, to create ink. <laughs> so so goals were dried and crushed, mixed with some ions to create a very dark ink, uh, uh, an ink that is quite famous in US because it Gold ink was used to um, write the Declaration of Independence. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and so very, so these goals are very highly concentrated in, uh, in tannins. And tannins have some defensive properties against herbivores because they, they inactivate the, the proteases. So it's difficult for the insect to uh, digest plant tissue that contain too high concentration of tannins. Mm. 
So that's the the very known chemical difference of most goals. But there is these goals that we were observing in the campus uh, called the translucent or goal. And it's really translucent, like it's like it's the size of a grape. It looks like a grape. Uh, it's, so it's semi-translucent, a bit uh, pale pink. Mm. So it could be like a grape or a bubble gum. <laughs> so we thought, uh, again, it looks like something that is edible. So, but is it? <laughs> so let's try it. <laughs> we, like for for fun, we some of us uh, tasted it. So um, Andy tasted it, and uh, well, he's in his tasting notes. The only thing he really noted was that the the goal was a bit tart. <laughs> <laughs> it was not particularly tasty, but the only thing he did was it was a bit acidic. And acidic, acidic. I thought, uh, but let's let's measure the pH just for fun, like because it's a bit weird to have it acidic. Mm. And the surprise we had is that when we put the pH paper and and, and later the pH meter to be really sure that the pH meter was accurate, we found a pH around two point five. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, so to give a comparison, it's like lemon. Uh, it's like the liquid you find also in pitcher plants. Nice. Because I have a, a friend and colleague that that works on carnivorous plants. What he told me, he said, that's the, the pH we find in carnivorous plants. <laughs> so And that's super so surprising for uh, a goal, so that a, a plant organ modified by an insect, but that contains an insect that basically uh, is... F- to be full of uh, a liquid that could digest an insect. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, so the, the question, yeah, we, we wonder so is that what could be the, the molecular cause or, um, so we, we look for the composition of, in terms of acids, organic acids. And so there are, because there's one, um, I, Hypothesis saying that uh, goals are um, in the goal formation, the insects are manipulating the, um, the developmental process that lead to the formation of fruits to, to its benefit. And um, in many fruits, uh, you have the production of some acids during the, the fruit formation, mm-hmm. but you have two classes. You have the class of the apples that are more accumulating more uh, malic acid. Mm. and a class of citrus and, and many other fruits that accumulate more citric acid. So we wonder that if it was more citric acid like lemon or malic acid like uh, uh, like apple. So we analyzed the, the composition in, um, uh, in organic acids and found that it's malic acid that is highly concentrated in the gall. Mm. So like, but similarly as the malic acid that accumulates in the Granny Smith uh, apples, right? but in <laughs> higher concentration in wow. the bowl. And but what was in, interesting also is to notice that the phenolic compounds, so the phenolic compounds uh, meaning the tannins, are in very low concentration in the gold. So hmm. goals, uh, almost goals on oak that ac- accumulate a lot of tannins. This one has this, the particularity to to not uh, accumulate so much tannin, suggesting that the accumulation of uh, malic acid is an alternative to uh, the defense uh, by tannins. It's also a form of defense, probably. Wow. 
Amazing. <laughs> I love that too. It's like, yeah, you're in this sphere of acid that, yeah, I'm not going to go in there and mess with that. But at the same time, don't bite through the wall too hard because now it's going <laughs> to come in on you. But I love that. So even within a, a, a single oak that generally speaking, galls will go this route. You've got an adaptation or a mutation that led to this just different pathway and now a really interesting and unique form of what you're calling defensive uh, for for this little developing wasp larva. That's that's incredible to just have that. And kudos to your friend who decided, I'm just going to taste it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without his, his bold experience, I would never <laughs> had the idea to study that. Yeah. You find all ways of discovery. <laughs> you got to use all your senses sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But on that too, you've also worked in, in far more, uh, even more complex versions of defense where these oak galls are uh, exhibiting sort of traits that are similar to what we see in seed dispersal with ants and, and taking advantage of ants being really good bodyguards, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> and, you, you know, you shout out to my friend Robert. You worked with a colleague and yeah. a friend of mine um, on that. And but, another, yeah. Yeah. He has already his episode on, in your podcast. Indeed, yeah, he's been on a bite. He was my master's advisor. So yeah, we go way back. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just to think that this is, you know, co-opted a system that is so separate from what's going on in, in the development of this, this single larvae that now you've got this really complex system where they start on the plant, fall off, and then enter with the ants. I mean, that to me is is just, it just is a perfect example of how wild this evolutionary process can get yeah and how uh, deep is the control that the insect has on the plant development uh, locally right because it's not only it's not a simple tumor right? <laughs> right. many many specialists of goals hate the use of tumor uh, to designate goals and they are right because it's not an anarchic uh, and 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 growth growth without rules like it's super ordinated by the insects and super controlled by the goal inducers right and not only are they doing all of that for defense or for uh climate and and you know any possibility there they're also eating right <laughs> like that's the other part yeah. of this this, this is also <laughs> an edible chamber and so you have to have the separation of tissues too and 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 the way it ends up working out where is it always starchy i mean the edible part of it's got to be as varied as whatever's in there eating it too so what's interesting I, I did a lot of microscopy so one of my personal specialities is histology so i do cuts mm. of um, of goals and i look under a microscope how it's organized very cool and what's interesting is that um the internal organization uh, has some common rules. Like you can, you mm. can see a lot of similarities in the internal uh, organization. You have in the larval chamber, around the larval chamber, you have the nutritive cells. They often look the same, like they are very large compared to other cells with huge nuclei. Uh, they look very weird and very enlarged and very with huge nuclei and surrounded by a layer of uh, cells that are very different. They're called sclerenchyma. Mm. So it's uh, lignified tissue, uh, very hard. So the thickness of this uh, sclerenchyma can change, but it's almost always present. And um, very often, 
the the presence of this clone camera will provide some defensive uh, like mechanical resistance to the naval chamber and sometimes provide some physical defense and and after you have uh, a, a parenchyma and it's where you have really the divergence of uh, of morphologies because in the, the parenchyma outside of um, this parenchyma uh, the, the morphology can be very different from a goal to another hmm. but yeah, generally you find this structure in uh, in three layers nutritive cells sclerenchyma and uh, and the parenchyma wow and that's cool too because you you start to think about you know there's only so many ways to make a gall out of a plant tissue right and so there has to be some similarities <laughs> but just like we start off as uh, you know gametes and then turn into the very forms of life that we have here so too the galls develop although very different pathways <laughs> Mm. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. And so, you know, <laughs> you've, you've already kind of hinted at where sort of your questions are leading you, but like what's on the immediate horizon? What kind of questions are you most excited about testing and, and what systems are you looking in uh, to, to try to answer these? Um, I, I think you understood that. I'm quite fascinated by goals and by... Yeah, the, the core question I would like to, to study more deeply and maybe participate to at least partly solve is the mechanisms of growth formation and really understand better how these, these insects are capable to deeply manipulate the plant development as they, they do. And um, the difficulty to study this, uh, this, this question is to have the right model system because... I like Gold Wasp. I really enjoyed working on Gold Wasp uh, during these two years, but they are also very st stressful uh, model organism because <laughs> they have only uh, uh, two generations a year. And uh, sometimes, oh. yeah, it's very tricky to find them. You have a time window one week. Uh, they are difficult <sighs> to rear in the laboratory. So if you want to go a bit deeper in the mechanism and yeah, if you imagine having mutants or things like that, it would be extremely difficult to do. I don't don't say it's impossible, but mm. it would be tricky. Yeah. So having a suitable system would be great. And that's why I'm thinking about another group of uh, gold-inducing insects. Actually, the, the most the largest group of gold-inducing insects, which is the, the gold midges. So, yeah, in insects, so you have in gold-inducing insects in the in five order of insects so hemiptera uh, hymenoptera diptera uh, coleoptera and lepidoptera hmm. but the two main groups are the gold wasp and the gold midges hmm. and the gold midges are quite understudied uh, considering their importance in terms of taxonomy like recent studies of um Metabarcoding revealed that it's probably one, if if not e the uh, most diverse family of insects, wow. uh, with uh, thousands and thousands of undescribed species, even in Europe, like in, in Europe. So, <laughs> yeah. not talking about the tropics, and and so that makes already this group super interesting because there is a lot to be discovered, and you have also. Unfortunately, some pests in this group. Mm. So there is also an economic importance to study them, like the Hessian fly, the uh, some uh, flies that attack um, uh, soy uh, soybean mm. or wheat. So you have several pests, and 
and you have advantages for a potential uh, biological model. Yeah. Because they can make several generations a year. They can be also, they can hibernate. So you, you can induce the diapos. So it's very convenient uh, if you want to have some vacations sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> you can put them in the in the in the fridge and uh, and uh, <laughs> and reactivate them when you come back. Nice. And and yeah, and they they also attack some uh, herbaceous plants. Mm. So more convenient than working with oak or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or even working with rose. I don't find it that convenient. So that makes this system uh, easier to work with, and um, and that's why I would like to develop my new project on these organisms. Nice. So I have some ideas of uh, species that associated with some, for instance, from with uh, some um, legumes. Mm -hmm. The legumes were a lot uh, studied with. Uh, for their association with uh, rhizobium, so their um, mm. their roots, uh, symbi symbiotic uh, uh, bacteria, uh, nitrogen fixing, and a big question could be: uh, Does the gold midges use the same gene to uh, manipulate the plant development? Mm. That could be a possibility, uh, uh, and that's a hypothesis I would like to study. For instance, exciting. Yeah, I mean, very fruitful. And and what's exciting about areas of science like this is you know there's going to be something new. You know what I mean? There's the, the discovery yeah. is almost guaranteed <laughs> in this realm, exactly. and you know it's beyond the the pushing the envelope ever so far uh, with every publication. But boy, you are chipping into. <laughs> a fruitful uh, endeavor there, and I wish you all the best on that. But for those people that want to learn more about your work and keep a finger on the pulse of what you're doing, and, and hopefully learn about this potential model system here, where do you recommend they go looking? Are there? Do you have a website? Do you have social media? What, where, where do you point people to learn more about your work? Uh, the best would be to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm quite active. Uh, I need to update my website. Good <laughs> state right now. But but my website also based. But yeah, my my Twitter, uh, Google Scholar, and always interested to have interaction. Uh, so you can DM me uh, if you want. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Giguet, this is fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, kind of breaking down what is very complex science and and just amazing interactions and hopefully turning a bunch of new people on to the world of galls. So be ready for the iNaturalist submissions. Uh, you might get a few. But uh, yeah, thank you most importantly for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. I know it's late where you are right now. I really appreciate you staying up and I, I know how stressful life can be in the academic world. So again, I, I can't thank you enough for being here. So yeah, appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you for your invitation. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Well, keep it up and I wish you all the best uh, moving into the future, but stay in touch. You're welcome back on at any point. <laughs> Goodbye. Cheers. All right. Isn't that incredible? Go outside right now and try to find gulls in your neck of the woods. I promise you, you will find some. And then marvel at all of the wonder and curiosity they can provide you. I thank Dr. Kigay for taking time out of his very busy schedule to talk with us. And as always, please check the show notes over at indefensiveplants.com slash podcast where you can find all of the relevant links for everything we talked about so you too can go forth and geek out just like I do. 
And while you're over there, please consider supporting the show. I couldn't do this show without support, and there's a lot of great ways to support it. You can pick up a copy of my book, some of our customizable merch and stickers. All of those links can be found in the show notes as well. You can also become a patron over at patreon.com slash plants and support the show a little bit each and every month. Seriously, I couldn't do this show without support, so thank you to everyone who has chipped in in one form or another. I really appreciate it. But that is it for me this week. I thank you all for listening. At the very least, make sure to hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.